The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about <laughs> you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Alexander Arnold with the cross shot. Liverpool get the early breakthrough again. Delicious cross from Trent Alexander Arnold. Finished off by Diogo Schotter. Alexander Arnold's drive. Manny! No flag. Liverpool lead by two goals to nil. Sadio Mane first to respond. Liverpool into the Champions League knockout stages already. Absolutely terrific at Anfield. That's four wins on the board. What a statement as well with two wins against the dark arts of Atletico Madrid. James Pearce, Simon Hughes, both here on the Red Agenda to tell us how good that Anfield performance was, uh, to talk a little bit about Luis Suarez and his return to the club and what we can read into this European run as well. And you've got to say, Simon, pretty impressive to have secured qualifications so early in the campaign. Brilliant achievement, I think, Steve. Given when the draw was made, a lot of concerns, understandably. Atletico Madrid obviously had just won the Liga. AC Milan back in the Champions League for the first time in a long time is never going to be an easy game, either home or away. And I suppose Port, you know, Porto, who Liverpool have had good results over the last couple of years, but have improved since Liverpool had last played them, I would say. Obviously, Liverpool's performances in the four games so far have been outstanding really I would say that the you know the pool played well in a lot of league games but some of the, the Champions League performances have exceeded the league you know the best league games actually so last night you know they were on it from the first minute really and obviously a lot will be made of, of the red cards for Atletico but Liverpool were 2-0 up by then and I got the impression Atletico were losing their discipline by the time that the red card came around because of how dominant Liverpool were so Really, really fast start. The sort of fast start that we were seeing from Liverpool in Champions League games in 2018-19 and 17-18 and as well. So, yeah, it was just, it was rolling back a couple of years, I felt, and thoroughly deserved to win. You know, the second half was without drama, really. Um, but Liverpool had earned the right for the game to sort of fizzle out that way, I'd say. Talk about getting your mojo back in the competition, James. I mean, that last year was... Such a slog, wasn't it? The year before, of course, much, much better. This resembles a Liverpool side. I mean, maybe even better. This this, this looks like a Liverpool side that are going to go a, a long way, a deep way into this Champions League. Yeah, 100%. I think this group campaign has sent out a message, really, hasn't it, to the rest of Europe that, that Liverpool are going to be serious contenders to to get their hands on that trophy come May. I think, um, you know, last season in the knockout stages, it just wasn't realistic, was it, with the... With the defensive injuries biting as they did, it was inevitable. I think you know once Liverpool came up against not even a particularly strong Real Madrid team that that they were they were swept aside. And now you look at them, you know the whole structure of the team with you know of course Van Dijk's return has has been huge. Yeah, it's just been just very very impressive. When you think back to you know I remember Klopp saying in late August when the draw was made, he burst out laughing when he when he saw the group because it was like. The champions of Spain, you know, the the second best team in Portugal, who'd reached the quarterfinals last season and narrowly lost to eventual winners Chelsea, and, and you know the runners up in Serie A. So, yeah, to get that out the way and to be group winners with two games to spare, I don't think it's it's possible to kind of to overstate you know how good that is, and and the fact I think it has been. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, 
about squad depth, but Klopp's been able to to negotiate that group. You know, at a time when he has had injury problems, when he has rung the train changes. You know, you think back to match day one against Milan, when you know he rested Van Dijk that night. I think he rested Thiago and Mane as well. You know, five changes last night, and players have have stepped up and delivered for him. So um, yeah, it uh, it just whets your appetite for what's to come in the competition in the new year. Yeah, and I don't think we should play down the group now. Now Liverpool have done so well because actually I think Porto and AC Milan. Am I right in saying James they're, they're top of their domestic leagues, aren't they? And obviously Atletico flying as well. So they've beaten three really good teams here. Yeah, you're, I think you're right because once, once you've done it, you can almost some some people will say, "Wow, you know that was wasn't anything to write home about." But Liverpool have made it look a lot easier than it actually than it actually was. We we know what a handful Atletico are. We know from watching Porto in the knockout stages last season, you know, that, you know what they can be like. And AC Milan, you know, of course they're not the, the Milan team of old, but they've got some really talented youngsters. So, um, so yeah, it's it's been great to watch. And of course, now it gives Klopp at a time when, after this international break, the, the fixture schedule is absolutely ridiculous, especially with Liverpool still being in the League Cup as well. And um, it, it just gives him kind of extra room for manoeuvre, really, in terms of being able to rest key personnel I think it will be I think it'll be a balancing act I don't think it follows that he would inevitably just play those right on the fringes and kids because I think the financial reality of the Champions League dictates that he will still have to field a relatively strong team at home to Porto and away to Milan I think I was looking before and it's you know you're talking about nearly two and a half million pounds at stake for each win in the Champions League so you know, there's there's no way they're gonna just you know accept that five million quid's gonna go up in flames. So, um, but it does give him that opportunity to to rest a few, and I'm sure he'll take that as well. We've talked about that financial aspect side before, and so as James says, there is it a case where Klopp's almost forced in a little bit of a way because of financially what's at stake. So two and a half million for each game. Personally. He's probably not bothered about that because he's thinking about how fit are my players. But is there a little bit of pressure that comes maybe from a higher level than than him saying, look, we've got to look at this seriously because of the money well, that's at stake? I wrote about this last week, Steve. You know, when they, they won in the League Cup, the, the reality is that the, the League Cup generates around £100,000 in prize money if you win it. Obviously, the Champions League, each group stage win is... Close, well, as James says, two two point four two and a half million pound per victory. Now, I know a lot of people sort of reply when when I write about this and say, "Well, it doesn't matter to me." You know, it's all about trophies. But whether we like it or not, FSG obviously operates in a financial world where it's based on profit and loss. So every penny does count. It's not increasing FSG's profits by winning in the Champions League. It's creating the financial landscape for Liverpool to go and compete. So £5 million is not an insignificant amount of money. So I agree with James. I, I don't think it's as simple as just Klopp saying, well, I'll go and play Jan Malby and Robbie Fowler up front in the game in Milan. I think they'll have to play reasonably strong teams. The concern is, obviously, last year they played Michelin's in, in, in the last group game, having already qualified. Klopp played Diogo Jota. They end up drawing the game and he got injured throughout the Christmas period, which is you could argue is where Liverpool's season sort of began to unravel. So there's a lot to think about, really. I don't think it's as simple as just saying, well, we're through. Great. You know, I do think that he has some some decisions to make. We've seen in the past, December, start of December, end of November, 
this is where the manager really does start to rotate the team. Um, every week that it'll be a different team. Tends to start the season with roughly the same team, finish the season with roughly the same team, but the bit in the middle, there is a lot of rotation. So it'll be fascinating to see how he manages it. Bearing in mind, of course, we've got the Africa Cup of Nations coming in January and he will be without potentially as many as three of his his sort of his first team players, you know, players who you'd expect to be potentially starting the game. I include Cater in that because he's obviously been selected a lot in the, this season. Let's talk about the game against um, Atletico Madrid then. We, we had an absolute classic, of course, out at the Wanda. Slightly different affair this time around, James, but Liverpool showing in, in many ways some of their best qualities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't the spectacle I think that well certainly I was expecting, and probably quite a few others in terms of. I thought it was going to be a real pulsating, frenetic contest in terms of Atletico giving as good as they got. Um, especially because you, you know that Simeone would have been stoking their fires in terms of avenging what happened on their own patch a few weeks ago. But you know, I think the fact that it wasn't that kind of evening was a tribute to the way. The Liverpool went about their business and they they imposed themselves on the game early on. Two brilliantly crafted goals, you know the the absolute individual brilliance of Trent Alexander Arnold with you know those those deliveries he's capable of providing from the right hand side and and also just the really intelligent movement when you when you watch those goals back. I mean Jota has got absolutely no right to to get on the end of the first one when you know he's, it's 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 essentially three defenders just just looking after him at one point. And similar with Sadio Mane, who I thought was absolutely great first half. And, um, you know, it's, I don't know what it is about Atletico Madrid. They seem to have it in for Sadio Mane. It seems like every time Liverpool have played them, he's targeted for some rough treatment. It, mu- it must be a, clearly Simeone felt that Sadio Mane is the kind of player that maybe you can... You know, you can unsettle if you if you if you rough him up, and that that's where you need strong referees. You know, credit to the Dutch uh, official last night. You know, the people will say the red card maybe killed the game, um, because who knows what Atletico would have been capable of doing if if they'd stayed eleven v eleven. But I must admit, I thought it was the right right call in the end. Initially, I thought he might have sent him off. Felipe's reaction in terms of refusing to come and come and get isn't you know what many thought initially was going to be a yellow card but I, I think when you watch the replay he's raked his studs down Sadio Mane's Achilles and and it, with absolutely no intent whatsoever to go for the ball I felt for Sadio Mane as well the fact that you know Klopp said afterwards he hated the decision to take him off at half time but it was definitely the right thing to do because mm. you know Atletico's only way back into that game was if a Liverpool player got sent off and it became 10 v 10 and you could see that you know every time Sadio Mane went in for a challenge, they were rolling around, they were haranguing the ref, desperately trying to get him a second yellow. So um, it was a sensible approach. But yeah, the the game was won effectively with that that brilliant opening twenty minute burst. I don't know whether Atletico have a, a default mode side that when they go down to ten, all of a sudden, I mean, it wasn't like the manager was saying at that point, right, step it up and be a little bit more horrible than you already are. They just immediately went into it. it. It was almost like straight away, right, let's see if we can get a 10 versus yeah. 10 now. They're an incredible football team. I mean, I, me and James were talking about it in the course of the game. I, mean, I, I quite like Simeone. I'm fascinated by him and the way he sets up his teams. Unapologetic. Perfectly suits the, the, sort of the, the mentality of the club. But 
if there's a, I was thinking I put in a piece today about about Luis Suarez. It's almost a shame that he's playing for them now when he's not at the top of his game. I mean, could you imagine him and Diego Costa a couple of years ago going around throwing bodies about? It would have been great to see. <laughs> I, I think. Um, but the, yeah, the, the the slippery aren't the tricky team. Slippery. That's they, a great they word. Absolutely, try everything to to sort of change the conversation in the game. I mean, the sending off killed them really. They, they they should be looking back at that really frustrated because obviously Liverpool did concede a two goal lead against Brighton, and it's fair to say that Atletico Madrid are a much better team than Brighton. So on this occasion, the behaviour on the pitch, I think, really really did backfire. I've made the point in this piece. I think that sometimes, particularly. You know, the Liverpool crowd at Anfield, it's not the best crowd to try and do these things, I think, because Liverpool people are straight on to something like that, aren't they? And it, it riles them and gets the atmosphere going. So I, I think they've misjudged the potential mood, really, um, on this occasion, because it, it certainly did backfire. But, you know, it's a, it's a shame, really, because I, I wanted to see them have a real go at Liverpool and, and, and the, the, the sending off stop that happening, really. Let's talk a little bit about Luis Suarez then. So, James, the the reaction of the crowd, he, he was booed heavily, wasn't he? Um, it, was that booing almost a little bit of a... contained with a bit of worry as well, that if the excellence of Luis Suarez comes out, there's always that danger he might hurt you? Yeah, I, I think it's just... It's the, almost like the rules of engagement when you come up against Suarez, I think. You know, sometimes players come back to Anfield and are booed and it's because they're disliked, because they they did something either during their time at the club or when they were trying to negotiate an exit, which left a really, really sour taste. And, um, you know, you think of you know, Raheem Sterling when he when he's come back to Anfield with, with Manchester City, you know, Torres, you know, the first couple of times he came back after, you know, pushing for that move to Chelsea. But it, it's different with Suarez because I don't, there isn't a Liverpool fan inside that stadium last night who, who deep down doesn't admire and love Suarez for what he did for the club. I think it's just... It's almost like that's the way he is. Suarez doesn't do sentiment, so like, why why should Liverpool fans on the night? I think I think the the reception he was going to get was it, it was exactly as I thought it would be because you you think back to that two legged tie against Barcelona and what you know what an absolute disgrace he was there waving imaginary cards and trying to get Liverpool players sent off. It was I think that was that was when you thought oh. You know, most Liverpool fans thought, oh, okay, well that that's the way it is. Then is it, Louis? You know, there's um, you know, despite that bond between us, you know, because he's only got one way of playing, hasn't he? He doesn't, you know, tone it down for anyone. So, um, so no, when he, when he went off, there were as many people applauding actually as there were booing, and even those booing, I think it was, it wasn't, it wasn't kind of malicious and and nasty. It was it was pantomime stuff really, and I, I think the reality is. In, in years to come, when, when hopefully Suarez comes back to Liverpool and is part of Legends teams at Anfield after he's hung up his boots, you know, he'll get a brilliant reception on those occasions. Um, you just fear for, for some of those legends on the other team because you know that he doesn't he won't be doing friendly fixtures, will he? It's it's all part of the theatre of the Suarez show, isn't it, Simon? As you said, I'm absolutely captivated. By I loved the fact he was starting last night and watching it. Even sort of the preamble, the love that Jordan Henderson had publicly shown yeah. for him. Well, I agree with what James is saying to a large extent, but disagree with some elements of that. I mean, I think that it was always, to some extent, going to end like this with Suarez as soon as they, both Liverpool and he met each other because he will never change 
and Liverpoolians will not let anybody shaft them, basically. So it was always going to be that sense of conflict, really. He is who he is. He, As James said, the Barcelona game explains everything. He was trying his utmost to try and get a result for Barcelona on the day. He did set those rules of engagement. People were patient with him. They even waited in, in, in the game at Anfield to see how he reacted, even after what he did in the first leg in the new camp. It was a moment when, I think it was when he started, he, he clobbered Andy Robertson and put him out of the game. That's when the crowd really turned on him. And I just think, you know, people were like, well, you know, he's acted naturally. We're going to act naturally as well and, and try and support the team to get a win. We're not going to, you know, he's taking the piss really, isn't he? You know, in terms of, I don't think he should be expecting anything less if he understands the mentality of, of, of Liverpool fans. So um, I was quite surprised last night. They didn't wait to see how he behaved almost. You know, he, he, he did get a, so as James said, it was almost like a pantomime boo when his name was read out before the game kicked off. I thought that people might sort of wait to see how he how he sort of acted on the pitch. So that, that did surprise me a bit. But I still think, I mean, as James said, there's a lot of people were applauding him as he came off the pitch. I don't know how evident that was for people watching on TV because it was coming a lot from the main stands. Suarez, I think, was was a little bit, I don't know if he's disappointed or embarrassed, but he had his head down, so maybe he didn't actually see that happening as he was coming off. There were a lot of people who watched Liverpool in the period he was there, particularly the last season, who will never forget sort of the performances for Liverpool and the goals that he scored. I mean, he, he was absolutely incredible. I know I, I know I won't, I won't forget the bad things as well. Ollie Kay wrote a really good piece of last month about his racism ban and I think he, he got it absolutely right. I think he lifted the status of the team but dragged down the reputation of the club. I think that's the best way of putting it really and I just think it was always going to end like this because he's not the sort of person who will back down. He'll always give 100%. But I must say, I mean, I thought he he, he did struggle to get involved in the game last night as well. I mean, he barely touched the ball. I mean, I, I was talking to James at half-time, who, who, James, obviously a big stats man, straight onto the uh, optostats at half-time, and it formed the basis of the piece that will be going out on The Athletic today, where the only players on the pitch who had fewer touches in the first half was Felipe, who was sent off with 10 minutes to go, and the other centre-half, Jose Gimenez. So he, he didn't really, and two of his touches were for restarting the game after Liverpool had scored the goal, so he barely affected the game. But hey-ho, Suarez still managed to get booked for descent. So I think that sort of sums him up, really. Yeah, I mean, he's not the Suarez of old. Although there was that point, James, where we thought he grabbed a goal that might have shifted a little bit of momentum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was a, that was probably the the only kind of bit bit of luck that Liverpool needed, wasn't it? I think that that could have set the the kind of the nerves jangling a bit if if that had been allowed to stand. It was one of those ones that initially I don't think anyone even thought the offside was. A potential issue with from where Suarez had hit it, and obviously the deflection. I think off Matip gave Allison no chance, but um, but yeah, one of those ones where a player had strayed offside in the build up, and and I think you know that that was the moment then that you just you knew that there was going to be no no way back for Atletico, and I, I think you know I I know it's a lot of comments after the game of fans disappointed that Liverpool didn't really push home that numerical advantage in the in in the second half, but. I quite liked it. I quite liked. I thought there was something quite satisfying and professional about them just taking the sting out of it. And you know, especially you know when you you know the the only real sour note on the night was obviously the sight of Roberto Firmino going off with a hamstring injury. And then you think you know 
there's no need to go chasing the game now. You know, the the group is won. You know, there's you you, you just wanted to get through to the end without any other injuries and take no risks. You know, don't do anything to to jeopardize that that fantastic position they were in the game. And, and I think especially when there's been too many times this season where Liverpool haven't controlled games that they should have won. You know, you think at, at Brentford when they you know they should have won there, and you know. Even Atletico, when they did win in the end, letting that two-goal lead slip. Same against Brighton last weekend. So yeah, it it wasn't particularly spectacular viewing, was it? That last half an hour, but um, yeah, I, I like the fact that Liverpool took the sting out of it and, and managed the game well. Part of the big platform behind that control was Fabinho. When Fabinho plays, the the team play well, and and you look at the spine and you think, well. It's probably as good as any spine, isn't it, that this team's ever had. So if you're thinking Alisson, Van Dijk, Van Dijk looks happier with Matip alongside him. Obviously, Fabinho outstanding, and then you go right through to through the centre. Um, we've said it on this podcast loads of times, so important, but he steps straight back in, and everything seems to tick like clockwork again, Yeah, si. absolutely. You, you were saying that last night. He just makes the difference. And I, I sort of regret really thinking last season and, and actually fighting the... You know, we can sort of go and play centre half as as the fourth centre half. He obviously plays a lot more games at centre half than than anybody would have expected. Thought he did really well there, to be honest. But he is so important in the middle of the midfield. Those big long legs just managed to hoover up a lot of the space and get in the way of of any any counter attacks. And you know, his use of the ball is excellent. You know, his passing range is really good. I love that little sort of scoop pass he makes into the channels, which often puts the defence, the opposition defence, on the back foot. Uh, he sees the gaps. I just think he's a world-class player. And it amazes me that he doesn't really he doesn't really get the recognition outside the club, I think, that he he deserves. He doesn't play all the time for Brazil. I think there are reasons for that. I think the fact that he, he never played in the Brazilian league growing up, uh, I think. Maybe play one or two games. Very unknown, really, in Brazil. He obviously moved early, early on in his career to Europe. I think that's counted against him for the Brazilian national team. He gets in all the squads, but he, he's not first pick, and I, I just can't understand it really. Um, I mean, at Liverpool, he's played in in the middle of a three in midfield. At, at Monaco, it was more of a two, so he can play in both of those shapes. Brazil play with a two, um, of course. So I, I don't really understand it. I think he's a fantastic player. He gives Liverpool physical presence, technique, great in defensive situations and one on ones. Very difficult to point out that a, a, a most important player for Liverpool, really. But it is really, really noticeable when he's not there that the Liverpool aren't, yeah. aren't what they should be. And some of the sort of the iffy results that they've had have been when when he's been absent from from that number six role. Well, he controls the tempo, doesn't he? And you saw it when Thiago comes on. It's great to see him and get some football. But it's very different, isn't it? Even the style of play between the two. Yeah, outside. oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, uh, Thiago's obviously a totally different footballer. He has a, the short game. He's not really a tackler. People might come up with some data that, that, that sort of contradicts that. But I, I just think it's the, the, almost the impression that Fabinho leaves. It stops other teams doing from what they would normally want to do. So that might not appear in something like data, if that makes sense. Um I think that Jordan Henderson can play that role very well and he has done at times but I think that Fabinho is better in defensive situations than Henderson I think in terms of of just just giving the, the, the back two players behind and protection and I must say as well I think that Joel Matip this season has been 
crucial for Liverpool, really. I think again, he, he's been um, he's been one of the standout players, really. And and uh, I know obviously they won at Old Trafford with Canate playing there, who played very well. They've still got Joe Gomez, who's a, a fine player. But I, don't, I, th- I think the relationship between Van Dijk and, and Matip is, is is really really good, really solid. Two totally different footballers, two don't, totally different characters and personalities. But what I love about Matip is is his his real drive that you see on the pitch, you know, when things don't go his way, he gets really, really angry with himself in the situation. I quite like to see that. And it's not for show. He's obviously really, really motivated to try and win games of football. So I think those two players, and obviously having Van Dijk, which we could talk about all the time, I still don't think he's playing to the levels that he was before he got that serious injury. But the combination of the three just makes such a big, big difference for Liverpool. Yeah, and on centre-halves, James, you mentioned Nat Phillips in your piece, so if people want to check that piece out on The Athletic, and I thought that was quite nice of you, you to write that. He came on at the very end, didn't he? And for anyone who was who was still there, sat watching it, you're thinking, the lad's barely going to get a, an involvement here. But actually, for him personally, quite significant to be put on in the game. Well, yeah, I mean, the reality is, without what Nat Phillips did for Liverpool in the second half of last season, that there would have been no Champions League nights whatsoever at Anfield this season. And we shouldn't forget that. You know, you, you, you know, you almost have taken it for granted under Klopp that, you know, you know, you know, of course, Liverpool be in the Champions League. But, you know, with all the problems they faced last season, you know, for a long time, it looked like Liverpool might drop into the Europa. And, you know, it, it was he was a big part of that. And I thought it was a nice touch, of, you know. I don't think he even needed to have a shower, did he? Let alone get anywhere near the <laughs> the ball. It was um, one of the shortest cameos I've, I've ever seen. But it, you know, get his appearance bonus, and um, that kind of epitomises, doesn't it, that what's changed defensively? The fact that you know, through absolutely no fault of his own, because he was he was brilliant in the those closing months of last season. But but now you know he's the fifth choice centre back, and is having to be very patient and uh, amidst very little game time. But um, yeah, as Sai said, I thought I thought Matip was great. I think all of Klopp's changes, I thought, paid off on the night. You know, it was probably a few eyebrows raised at, at making five changes and whether it would be too many for for, for such a big game. But um, I think Matip proved, as well as Canate has done at times and the huge potential he's got, I think Matip and Van Dijk is definitely Liverpool's best combination still at the moment. And I thought Simicus did, did really well. Mm. Um, he grows was in it, Was that just a rest for Andy Robertson? Yeah, just to rest. I think I think there's you, you can see I think that Robertson uh, you know hasn't quite sparkled to the same degree and so I think I think it made sense. I think from when Robertson was missing at the start of the season and Simicus got those games on the back of a really good preseason. I think that provided all the proof that probably we and Klopp and his staff needed that that Liverpool have got you know a real high quality deputy for Robertson and that you can give Robertson a breather without the, the quality of what what's produced on that side of the pitch dipping at all. And um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think he's given Klopp genuine food for thought ahead of West Ham on, on Sunday. I think certainly Simicus, you know, he, he couldn't have done any more to, to keep his place. I think, you know, some of his quality deliveries, you know, he was, was should really have had an assist. I think it was first half with the ball into Jota at the near post when Oblak kept it out. And I thought... There's no doubt Fabino was absolutely key, but I think his presence as well helped Oxley Chamberlain. I thought I thought that was Oxley Chamberlain's best performance of the season by a considerable distance. And you know it was it was it was really nice. I thought to see him get that kind of ovation when he when he got substituted in the second half, and you know the bear hug he got off Klopp. I think was you know recognition for 
for the shift he'd put in because there was a reminder there of what Oxley chamberlain can give you when he's playing with confidence and when he's fit, you know, driving forward, you know, into pockets of space and, and making things happen. And um, it felt pretty timely for him because, of course, with Fabinho coming back, with Thiago getting minutes, you know, there was the danger that if he didn't grasp his chance, you know, he, he, he would slip back into into effectively being a, a backup figure. So, um, yeah, for, for me, Oxley chamberlain has done enough to keep his place on the weekend. And then, you know, Jota for Firmino certainly paid off as well with the freshness that Jota gave Gave Liverpool, and you know, obviously, we're now waiting to find out how long Liverpool will be without Firmino with that that hamstring problem. But um, yeah, the fact that Jota got his goal and should be fit and firing for for Sunday, you know, should should uh, help ensure that Liverpool go into the international break on a high. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's just quickly talk West Ham at the weekend. So, uh, twenty points, two points off uh, off Liverpool. They're they're fourth in the Premier League. Moisey's doing a, a very admirable job. You used to head down to Belfield and interview Moisey, Simon, didn't you? Uh, it was more Finch Farm actually. I, I met him. Yeah, I mean, he's done an amazing job at West Ham. I have to say. I mean, uh, the last time I went to West Ham, just trying to think, he he must have returned to the club since then. Um, oh no no no! He was he was manager of West Ham actually. Sorry, the last time I went at the Olympic Stadium just before the pandemic started, they were miles away. I mean, they were so poor that night. Liverpool won comfortably. I think it was three one, three nil, two nil. I can't remember. It was one of those games. It was such a routine victory. I don't really remember the scoreline. And they are now genuinely, you know, a team that I think could qualify for Europe again, and they're doing really well in the Europa League as well. Is it yeah, down to him? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's obviously got some star players, Declan Rice, yeah, Antonio. Yeah. But is it very much got, about the got, manager? You've got to give the manager credit. I mean, he's given Antonio the responsibility of becoming the club's number nine by giving the number nine shirt. And that's really kicked him on in terms of his performances. I saw Declan Rice in the game at Goodison Park the other week. It was a step up from what I've seen of him in terms of the level, the influence that he had on the whole game. You know, you see him play for England and he's... You know he's he's not really asked to do what he is asked to do for West Ham, and he's given a bit more freedom at West Ham to break forward and express himself. And I'd like to see more of that from him because I think I think he's he's got that in his game. He, I think Jamie Carragher compared him to who said it was like a bit of a Roy Keane performance, and I can understand that comparison because he he really drove the team on to victory that day. And he's he's become a more significant player at West Ham in the Premier League at international level since David Moyes returned to the club. So um, I think managing West Ham suits him because there's, there are parallels with, with Everton in terms of the demands, I would say, 
well, not the demand for success, but the, the length of time they've had since they've been successful. I don't think, obviously, the pressure that he has at Man United succeeding uh, Alex Ferguson was incredible. I think anyone taking that job but a top, top quality manager with a proven track record of success was always going to find that hard. But he has done fabulously at West Ham, and I think it's it's going to be a tough game. My my only hope is is that you know from a Liverpool perspective is that you know his record against Liverpool over the years as Everton's manager. I know Evertonians will say, well, he made Everton competitive um, against Liverpool, a proper opponent in that time. Liverpool still won quite a lot of games against Everton, and the club's record against his team since have also been good. So. We will see. Um, of course, Liverpool went there last season and, and had a good win when there were no fans and then obviously beat them at home as well. So I think that memory will also help Liverpool a little bit. James finishes off. Tw- 25 matches unbeaten. They head to the Hammers. Last, they've had a couple of what you'd call slight blips, haven't they, in the, in the Premier League campaign? Obviously, the Brighton game or the trip to Brentford. How tough a test is this one for Liverpool? Yeah, I think I think it's up there with the, the toughest tests you can have in the Premier League at the moment. I think... Um, You've got to give David Moyes a lot of credit. I think you know after what happened to him at United, and then he made a disastrous decision taking the Sunderland job when he did. He was written off, wasn't he? And he's he's come back incredibly strong. He's got a, he's got a decent squad of players there. But you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me watching West Ham this season is they're they're actually really worth watching. You know, when you when you thought about you know Moyes at Everton, you know, he was. It was very much, you know, look how well drilled they are, look how organised they are, look at the set piece threat. But you know, his brand of football has evolved, and you know, watching them demolish Aston Villa last week, you can see as well there's a real kind of unity and spirit there with how much they seem to enjoy playing for each other. And you know, Liverpool are blessed to have very gifted fullbacks and the quality they provide, and certainly Cresswell. When I watch him play, and the, you know, he's a player that. That provides similar for for West Ham. So um, yeah, I think this is the kind of game where if Liverpool can go there and win, you know, I, I think then you go wow. This you, you you then take a breather in the November international break and think what a start to the season this has been. But to to do that and to and to set a new club record, which would be you know twenty six games unbeaten in all competitions, beating Bob Paisley's team from eighty two, they're gonna have to be bang on it. I think. In previous years, when I've been to the London Stadium, you think to yourself, "These are soft." There's, a, you know, even when they've been doing okay, you always thought if Liverpool start well, you know, that their fans will turn on them. You know, there's they're a bit weak mentally, but that's not the case. I think where before you could probably deliver a, a six out of ten performance and go there and win. I think now you're talking about eight, nine out of ten if you're going to maintain that momentum generated for midweek. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's got the makings of a. Of, of, a, of an absolutely fantastic game looking forward to being down there for him great stuff uh, thank you very much uh, James check out James's piece uh, on the Athletic looking back at that Atletico game and if Simon's piece on Suarez is up by the time you listen to this pod as well I, I'm sure it's well worth a, a read isn't it Simon well, you said that Steve so I'll go along with it <laughs> <laughs> sure Good it man. thank you very much indeed guys and thank you for listening uh, for listening to the Red Agenda we've got a massive game with West Ham to look forward to uh, this weekend and the Red Agenda will return early next week. See you then.